right, we are live. Welcome, fiends, to Handle with Scare, presented by the Slashing Cast Podcast Network. Our show discusses horror movies and the phobias they emphasize. With me tonight, as always, are both of my co-hosts, Holly Hooch and Johnny Guys. Here we are. Uh, Fear of the Wealth, uh, in, in this case, uh, kicking off this past week uh, with a, a very intriguing pick uh, this week. Uh, you know, kind of, kind of turned into the tide a little bit in regards to like what genre we're deep diving into. But if we're talking about class division, I don't think we could have selected like a more fitting like back-to-back selection for Plutophobia than what we have currently at this time. Uh, but you know, before we jump into tonight's pick, just a couple of general reminders: we've been doing the watch parties over on Stream Lounge on Mondays, Thursdays, and Sunday nights. And again, streaming laundry is available on PC and Mac, free download. Uh, most of the stuff I've been streaming have uh, been on Tubi, uh, which is also free. Uh, so, you know, you don't have to worry about having any sort of subscription or anything like that. And you can find the schedule there uh, in our show notes. But anyways, back to the topic on hand. Uh, last week, we talked about what happens when the rich feed off of the poor and uh, they shunt the poor. Uh, you know, in the middle of this giant goo orgy in society. And it's tonight... Orgy monster! <laughs> that was the last time. I mean, there's, there's, there's a lot of things happening, you know. Uh, which, of course, everyone needs to go see the third act of society if they haven't already at this point. Which, if you haven't yet, what the hell are you waiting on? You know, we already talked about it. Uh, our words cannot do the third act justice enough. Uh, but tonight... We are fighting our way to the front in Snowpiercer, uh, which is my selection, which, you know, I, I've seen this movie several times, but it, it had been a while. And, you know, sometimes there are movies that you just forget how fucking good they are. And we were watching this uh, last night, and I'm just like, man, I forgot how much this movie, like, like keeps the blood pumping. Because there are some really great action sequences uh, some really interesting nods in regards to uh, timing of, like, how far into the movie you are, because there is kind of, like, that halfway point where, like, it even, like, does the whole wink-wink. Yeah, you're not even halfway through the movie yet, uh, in this case. And, of course, you know, we, we mentioned the Willy Wonka theory, which we'll talk a little bit about, I'm sure, at some point in the movie. But all in all, this movie is still... One of my favorites in regards to, like, post-apocalypse or just sci-fi in general. And uh, I'm looking forward to diving into this one tonight. Yeah, I'm super excited. This is... I, <laughs> I haven't watched it in a long time. And I so I hate to say the words. It's one of my favorites. But it really is. I mean, it's uh, one of the few times you get to see Chris Evan in a very... Uh, I, I, it's a very emotive role for him. And mm-hmm. he definitely has the range, I think. Uh, that's not, you know, he usually gets cast as either the hot asshole or the hot superhero or the hot love interest. And and then this one, like, it's just, <laughs> Dan said hot way too many times. <laughs> I'm glad Joe's <laughs> not here right now. But, <laughs> but it's, uh, it really goes to show he's got really great range. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, he's got multiple really great speeches in this movie where he just, he makes you feel it. And it's, I'm getting goosebumps. So, I yeah, let's dive right in. I love this thing. And also, uh, Tilda Swindon, so what's not to love? Oh, 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 oh! And, of course, um, we've got uh, Song Kang Ho as well, who's just amazing <laughs> and awesome in everything he touches. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
the he's the dad. He's the dad. Yeah, he's the dad. He, I love him, but he does <laughs> he does play the same character. In he every does. Movie. Well, awesome. I would say, well, like maybe the apathetic, the, the level of apathy in. Well, okay, yeah, you might be right. In the level of apathy, and also with the exception of like being a really like loving father. Yeah. That's like that's his character, which again, like his character. He's, like, he's always like the lovable loser. Well, in this of. one, he's 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 an intellectual. In this one, he's not so much in Parasite, and of course, not so much in The Host, but still like the whole like apathetical towards life, yeah, except yeah. for his love for his kids. So. Yeah. You're right, I guess. So I was gonna defend. I was gonna protest. I was like, no, yeah, that, that fits. We can really get at it. He's awesome, though. Absolutely. So, of course, as I mentioned, this is a post-apocalyptic movie, uh, and all of it takes place on Snowpiercer, which is this uh, train that is basically rotating around like the world once a year, essentially. Uh, which is very interesting because, you know, there are times throughout the movie where we kind of have these different historical events uh, that have occurred, and you, and you that definitely plays into kind of like the, the grander picture uh, towards the end of the movie and, you know, just dealing with the revolt and how that plays into, you know, the father and daughter's story uh, in Snowpiercer. But, you know, what, what was interesting about this movie is, you know, of course, Chris Evans has had, you know, a pretty successful career. And a lot of people are used to seeing him in very specific roles, as you mentioned, like in Captain America. And, you know, the whole time, you know, you're, you're looking at him in this, and it's just like, they they really went out of their way to put him in, like, as baggy clothing as possible to show, like, that he's not, like, this really buff, strong guy yeah. <laughs> in this movie. So they're trying to hide it. Uh, but, you know, I, I remember when, you know, this movie came out, and I saw the poster, and it was it was telling of what was going to happen to his character in this movie, uh, because you saw a hand injury, uh, because he's basically, like, trying to hide it behind, like, some of the other people on the poster, which, of course, ties into part of the... Uh, the engine and how that operates uh, towards, you know, the tail end of the movie. But, you know, what, what's interesting about this is, of course, you know, you have the different parts of the train. Each one serves their purpose. Uh, they, they basically do the whole ordeal where, like, everyone has their purpose in here. Everything has to be concise. Uh, and it's all formula and number driven. You know, everyone has their role. And, you know, you have the different... Uh, classes, you know, you have first, second, third, and then, of course, you have, like, these different uh, cabooses as well that are, like, agricultural-based. You have kind of, like, the the salon. You have a sushi station. There's, like, an aquarium and shit, like, on this train. So it's, like, they, they really thought of everything, but, of course, a lot of it uh, stems in the tail end of the train, and they're just trying to fight their way uh, throughout the train as they try to revolt against the upper class uh, throughout the movie and just the way that they kind of go about it and, you know, the kids are constantly uh, getting taken and they have their purpose, which is, you know, sinister in its own right because they're basically, like, working these kids to death uh, in a lot of situations, which also ties into the Willy Wonka theory. But there's just so much to unpack with this particular movie. But I just have to say, like, 
I remember the first time seeing this, the score was really what drew me in initially, on top of the fact that, you know, you have that uh, Korean and also uh, American, like, cohesion, because, like, this was Anho's, uh, like, first American film, which is really interesting to think about. So, like, even before he had all this later success, like, at least audience, uh, I wouldn't say they were acquainted to him yet, but they got, like, their first taste of it. And uh, I I was really curious to see whether or not there would be, like, any huge differences between, like, what American audience saw versus, you know, what we saw overseas. What is it? We were talk- just talking before recording. Did this movie come out after The Host? I think so. Right? This, this was 2013. And The Host was 08? Oh, 20, 2000. 2006. Oh, 2006. 2006, right, right. Which The Host is purely a Korean production. And then yep. this one, yeah. And that's kind of the one that seemed like it was his movie that made American audiences aware of who he was. It got a theatrical release here. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, and then I guess, as you were saying, this was his first fully American... Is it a fully American production, Snowpiercer? Or is it a, a combo production with... It's a combo. Yeah, yeah. That's very cool. That's what I kind of suspect. But it's cool. Um, yeah, definitely. And uh, it also kind of starts out, like, uh, underwater, to compare it against uh, underwater, where <laughs> it just kind of starts... <laughs> Off. Like, it doesn't really give you a long intro of meeting the characters. You kind of just jump right in where the, the revolt is basically starting almost right at the beginning of the movie. Yeah, the tensions are already stirred. You're mm-hmm. getting ready to strike. But, you know, it's a very exciting way to start a movie, you know. Mm-hmm. You're, already, you're, you're already amped up. So I, I really appreciate that. And again, it does the thing that modern movies, I think, do that I like where an older movie would have given you a full first act of just kind of mundane, being on the train, meeting the characters, slow pace, and then giving you all the story, and then as you get to the third act, you get the big revolt and all the action. But this does the better kind of... Yeah, it turns up the heat from the Yeah, it starts right off, and you get the story as it goes. (laughs) Yeah. And I appreciate that because I think uh, I mean that's the whole point of the story, right? That there, that it's it's um, a livable situation, and uh, and to to try to to add that to to try to introduce everybody in a very slow and this is our daily life sort of way kind of makes you wonder like so what's wrong with the protein bars? <laughs> Although we can get into those a little later because I don't yeah. actually see what's wrong with the protein bars. Oh, but yeah, yeah, exactly, and. Uh... Of course, you get, like... The thing that's great is it's, like, it's kind of... It's pretty Mm heavy-handed with the class division. Like, you immediately know exactly what's going on. (laughs) I think we know he's the king. He doesn't (laughs) have shit all over him. (laughs) Yeah, seriously. Uh, But it's done in a good way. It's it's definitely, like, a story that kind of doesn't take place in the real world. It's a very kind of stylized hyper, almost, like, comic booky kind of world, you know? And it, one of the things that struck me kind of right away in the beginning of the... And the things that they were kind of doing in the early parts of the movie is it almost felt like kind of a Terry Gilliam type of world. Like yeah, Brazil. Brazil. Yeah. Or Baron Munchausen. Uh, 
There is like, uh, I can totally agree with that, but I think what Terry Gilliam did really well, he added this very nice, heavy chunk of grotesqueness that this particular movie wasn't as heavy-handed in, but it definitely approaching. I mean, of course, as you're moving through the class system, you start seeing just uh, uh, how decadent people are and how kind of gross that can be, but they're still pretty polished and nice-looking. I mean, the, the really awesome part about Brazil was uh, seeing, like, they, they, they were aiming towards a nice, clean, perfect look, yeah. but uh, weren't quite getting there, like, were, were horribly disfigured. Or, yeah. So, uh, which, again, like, just... That's the that's the Terry Gilliam touch for sure. And, and uh, hmm. what I'm blanking on her name, the Tilda Tilda Swinton. <laughs> she very much felt oh, like yeah, she was a Terry Gilliam kind of Monty <laughs> Python sure. type of character. Well, too. she always does. I mean, she's yeah. she's pretty incredible. Like, it's kind of hard to like uh, really describe um, her style, just because like she she's a chameleon and she's yeah. so good at just like fitting into character. She, she looks completely different from movie to movie, and it's really impressive. And I don't want to, like, I don't mean this comparison in a negative way, but she, her character and her, the way she was kind of depicted early on when we first meet her, when they do the selection, when they select the kids, mm-hmm. also very uh, much reminded me of the other movies that were coming out at the time, the other post-apocalyptic Movies that were kind of like uh, Hunger Games. Hunger Games, okay, yeah. And like Maze Runner and all of those. She would have been great in all of those. Where in, she kind of feels like a character from Hunger Games. Yeah. Where her kind of over-the-topness yeah. and everything. But I don't mean that in a negative way, because I like this movie far more than any of those other <laughs> movies. But, uh, but it, it, it's interesting how of its time the movie is. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Where there was a whole... Hassle of this one it was also different just in the sense that you know it has a very unique setting i mean obviously it is post-apocalyptic and you know it's kind of like a new ice age uh just because like everyone believes that uh you know earth is not livable in its current state because of all the ice and all of the snow. So basically, whatever remnants of humanity has was left at that point uh, were taken into like this self-sustaining train, uh, which is the Snowpiercer, uh, which is ran by Wilford, who uh, you know is of course at the front of the train, which is where you know the revolt is all trying to get to. Uh, but unfortunately, not everyone actually gets to that point. Uh, Outside of, like, one person, uh, really, in this case. Uh, but, you know, they, I, I, I think one of the smallest details that really blew me away about this movie, and it's not, like, a huge thing, but I thought it was so smart the way that they did that. So when the revolt happens and they're trying to get uh, to, like, open the gates, and obviously they, they find the guy to help them open the gates, right? You know, they're trying to communicate with him, and of course he's Korean, so, like, there's that language barrier. Uh, but, you know, of course, you have, like, this translator right. device. And, you know, initially, it, it works okay, but as soon as it malfunctions, that's when you get the subtitles to actually hit on the screen. And I thought, like, that that was such a small detail, and yeah. I appreciated that they actually went that direction, so it just wasn't constantly, like... It, it made you, like, in that moment when you're, when you're using the translator, like, pay more attention to the actual sequence and how everything is being laid out, as opposed to, like, 
All right, my eyes are just going to be glued to, like, the bottom of the screen. You're actually still getting that conveyed emotion as all of this is happening. And I cannot think of another movie that actually went that direction either. No, I can't. And like you were saying, it's just, it's such a smart move because um, them using technology to communicate initially really, uh, I think, maintains Nam's sort of sense of apathy where, like, oh, no, fuck no, I don't know English. <laughs> if you want to talk to me, you need to communicate with me. Although he's the one that points out where the translators are. But, uh, uh, and then, and then they, when you mention when the, the technology fails and then the subtitles, it's just such a smart, such a smart move and just really adds a level of, um, I guess, I don't know if the word authenticity applies, but it's just, it's, it, it just makes the, the characters just seem more, that much more authentic. And, and right away in the beginning of the story, when they take the, Attendance of everybody in the mm. category. Oh, that's they, right. They make it clear that it, it's There's an international yeah. group of people on the train, that they're from all over the but place. It makes you wonder how they got on train at the same time. Yeah, because when we find out later, they kind of, everyone sort of got on at the but, same time. And so, why, I don't understand what they produce for the rest of the train other than little babies to run the engine. So, is that is that it? Or. Well, no, uh, Remember they uh, like they select the guy to the violinist, and then we see him later, and he plays so, for the class. So they just I, keep him around in case they want to select somebody from there. But also, I think the assumption is labor too that they're working and doing mm-hmm. things I, that the wealthy people don't want to do there. Because I kind of got the sense. Well, okay, yeah, you're right. Because at one point where they when they get to the uh, the protein bar room, they know the guy. Mm-hmm. So whenever I guess they, mm-hmm. there's because there's a. Um, the, the people way in the back of the train, and then there's like the working class, then which I don't know if the working class is on the yeah the working class, which would still be back of the train sort of, mm-hmm. and then you've got the the middle class, which is the, the folks that get their own little uh, train cart and get to read books and drink tea, mm-hmm. and then you get the super wealthy at the front, right? Mm-hmm. So I know that they're usually divided in threes, but and I just did four, but I feel like that that is what's making me justify why they wouldn't just cut loose that last train cart and be like, fuck you guys. And just bail. Well, because at that point, they're all under the impression that no one can survive out of the train. No, no, I mean as in, like, if uh, if the rest of the, the rich people on the train... Oh, just cut so them much. off. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, they use them for they sure. They use them for sure. Okay. Well, also, the assumption is labor, though, you were saying. But okay. also, the breeding thing is super important. Because yeah. as we learn, the little kids are... In, are integral to running the engine. And they did say that they were trying to cut them down by 74%, which is quite a lot. Yeah, no, that's a lot. Cause, and I was going to say, because the balance, they always talk about they have to maintain balance, Yeah, but it's only the poor people who get culled, to yeah. use that word, uh, who get killed off uh, to maintain the balance. Like, they're not going to actually kill the wealthy people and throw them off the train. And I was like, if you just gave them, like, you know, condoms, although I don't know if those are extinct, probably not. <coughs> but that's not the whole point, right? The whole point is to breed them like rabbits and right, then right. cut them down when they're, there's too many that they don't want. And it's, mm. it's just, yeah, they're basically kind of maintaining them like animals, basically. Like in real life. Like, it's like a zoo. Yep. Exactly. The course are all crammed into, you know, the tail compartments 
uh, like sardines, basically, and they're all overseen by the armed guards. And I, I say armed in the sense that, like, they had guns. Of course, a, a major part of the plot revolves around the revolt, and, uh, you know, there there was a lot of thoughts about, like, well, maybe the guns are just for a show, because, you know, they, they had the initial revolt, which they talk about when you see, you know, the Frozen Seven or whatever terminology they use. Uh, which was, like, one of the first uprisings that had happened. And, uh, you know, they had this theory, or Chris Evans' character had this theory, that uh, the bullets were just extinct at this point in time. Like, there's no ammunition. And, of course, you'd, like, you have that big moment where, you know, he goes to uh, the front of the tail, and, you know, he has the machine gun pointed to his skull, and he, you know, pulls the trigger for the guy, and then as soon as that moment happens, and you're like, oh shit, they don't have any ammo, That it's just game on at that point. Uh, which, you know, like, talk about a huge risk, you know? But of course, bullets do come into play uh, both for uh, kind of like sending messages, but also uh, in, in a literal sense, too. <laughs> because they do eventually manufacture bullets on Snowpiercer, much of the dismay of the people who are revolting at the time, and that's when, you know, things start to really go sideways. Yeah. Which, yeah, not, and not to jump ahead too much, but, yeah, they realize that the guards don't have bullets after the previous revolts. But, uh, but it makes sense, though, that they would end up having bullets in reserve, right. the wealthy people, because they basically they would say, okay, like, we're not. We're yeah. super low on bullets, so we'll only. We'll let these them. guards get killed. Yeah. But if they cross this line, yeah, then you can start using bullets. Yeah, exactly. Which it's... incidentally, the line was our kids. <laughs> and then also, let's not forget that they're getting secret messages from the front of the train, mm. uh, giving them mm. ideas and clues. Uh, that was. I mean, we can go ahead and spoil it, right? And, and just say that the messages are coming from Wilford, from the head mm. of the train. But uh, it's, mm -hmm. it was a, it was it was really the disappointment is very layered, right? When you when you get that realization, because your hope is that there are several cells throughout the train that are all willing to make changes in the way that things are run, but in reality nobody is, and it's all like a plot just to reduce their the numbers of the people in the back. Mm -hmm. So because that was the idea too, like oh somebody up front is helping us, somebody's helping us, mm -hmm. but no nobody's helping you. Yeah, like it could be the workers <laughs> in the front or something that nope. they're sending. Maybe somebody in the in the, mili in the in the in the uh, militia. Nope. But yeah, so they do start, and, and I kept thinking the whole time, uh, Chris Evans' friend, the guy, the other Ed guy, Edgar, the younger guy, yeah, Edgar. Mm -hmm. I kept thinking he was Tom Holland the whole time. The might, might as well be. <laughs> uh, he looks just like him and sounds like him. It feels bad so, that I also get the guy from the Hunger Games confused with Tom Holland. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, and then so they do start the revolution, the next revolution, the third or fourth one. Mm -hmm. uh, and what, uh, what happens like... So, okay, so they start the revolution... Um, they make it through to, uh, the, the very first boss that they have to encounter is that super giant big dude. And we're... Yeah, legit, basically the yeah, brute. The brute. He, he's like an orc. Yeah. <laughs> the orc. And then he's actually taken out by, like, the super agile, like, yeah, the small frame. Yeah, yeah. Like, that, was, that guy was great. 
who I think I've seen. I, I didn't look him up, but I swear I think I've seen him in. I, he may be in that movie, The Block. Have you seen that? It's a really good uh, Thai movie, I think, mm-hmm. where an entire block of apartments. If you've ever seen the Dread movie, this is the original Dread movie, okay. where an entire block of apartments is run by a drug dealing gang and they have to sort of fight their way up to the top of the building. And I think he was in that, but I might be wrong, but I thought I recognized him from that. But I think he's like a kung fu kind of martial arts actor. I can tell. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but he was great. And, uh, yeah, the the first boss, very kind of video game. Very how yeah. you progress well, through the movie, especially as like it's linear. So yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> but in a good way, not in a bad way. Uh, and then what we get to? Do we get to the food? We already? get to the food right away, which is the first big thing. Well, also John Hurt. Let's not forget. He's awesome. Love John Hurt. And we were just talking about Octavia Spencer. Like, oh, and Octavia Spencer. Back when I watched this for the first time, I didn't really, like, you know, I liked her, I noticed her. So where were we? <laughs> we were talking about Octavia, Octavia Spencer. <laughs> oh, yeah, Octavia Spencer. And how she's been building a pretty incredible uh, filmography. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she's in the first that, Spider Sam Raimi Spider-Man for, like, one minute. She's got a tiny role in that movie. And then she's in that Shape of Water. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. She's in the... Um, Hidden Figures, is it? Yep. This movie has an all-star cast. It there's really does. Of, there's a lot of those, there's a lot of uh, that guys in the this movie, which is the people who... Oh, like, you don't remember their name, and they're like, yeah. it's that guy. It's the people who are always in tons of movies, <laughs> but you don't know who they are. I feel that way about Edgar, the guy who plays Edgar who gets killed. Yeah, yeah. I was like, I know that guy. The, <laughs> He's a British dude. The, well, the funny thing is, you might remember him because... From my generation, I remember him as a child actor from Billy, Billy Elliot. That's Billy Elliot? He's Shit. Billy Elliot. That's a good movie. That movie was a big hit back in the 90s. I remember. I was there. Yeah. <laughs> He's Billy Elliot. And I think he was mm-hmm. in the King Kong movie, too, with uh, the Peter Jackson movie. He was? Yeah. He was the uh, guy. But he still t- he's still Tom Holland, too. He's Tom Holland too. Is that his name, Tom Holland? <laughs> yeah. I think I have to say their name. Right? The guys, yeah, the Spider-Man. Spider-Man. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, and, oh yeah, and so, and uh, John Hurt is John in Hurt it, is, and he's yeah. great. Hellboy, of course, most recent, probably biggest thing we know him from. But, uh. Good stuff, good stuff. All right, so we're at the. The orc boss. Oh, orc before boss. the food, and then we get to the food. And then we get to the level. food. Which again, uh, that's when you, you that's really good evidence that they're pulling people from the back to do jobs. And I don't know when they're killing them off. They've only been traveling for 17 years. So. Yeah, it's. Like, how many workers are going to die off that you need to pull from the back? You know? Well, I mean, it depends. But what am I poking holes for? Depends on how hard, yeah, depends exactly. on how hard they're worked. And if they're fed properly. <laughs> Remember, we find out later that the the, the first, first like several months, months or, or months, yeah. year or whatever. The first month maybe it was. Really the bad. first month was where they had to cannibalize each other. And, yeah. They basically just left them back there unattended. Damn. But, but they get to the food, and the funny thing is that when they look in the food thing see to see what the protein bars are made of, and they show the horrified reaction of the characters before we see it, mm-hmm. I thought, oh, it's going to be people. <laughs> it's going to be like, 
soiling green. It's going to be like arms and legs in there being ground up for the food. But then it was just bugs. Then it was just bugs. And it reminds me of this one time I was at this like science museum and Joe and I were just walking around and I go, I go up to this like, uh, this person that has a bunch of like, like cheesy poofs in little tiny containers, like free samples. And they're like, hey, you want to try these? They're made from crickets. And I'm like, are they free? <laughs> and I, like, I ate one and then I took one with me. <laughs> so then I'm like, so what if they're bugs? Like, well, what does it taste like? I mean, seriously, not to be like, and not to be an asshole, but it's like, <laughs> that's, I mean, that, like, <laughs> that's not bad. Like, they, I mean, it's not great, but. There's a lot of cultures that eat, I think we talked about this last week, I don't know if it's on the recording or not, yeah. but like, there's a lot of cultures that eat bugs, and we eat mm-hmm. lobsters and Seems crabs, nice. which are Well, I mean, here's here's the thing. Like, you you already had the cannibal phase. It's like, well, would you rather get hooked on the taste of human flesh or would you rather eat bugs? Right? Like, first it's kind of like, oh, they're seem like they're overreacting about the bugs. And then later when you find out that Chris Evans has been eating babies Babies. and that they're it's like, really? You're gonna freak out about eating bugs after you've been eating babies for a couple of months? I feel like the reaction should have been like, ugh. <laughs> and I, I don't know if this makes me a bad person, but I literally laughed out loud when Chris Evans said that babies taste the best. They found out that oh, babies taste the that best. That was just like super like, hardcore speech. <laughs> that was so funny though. That's what I was, <laughs> that's what I was like, oh man, Chris Evans got some soul. <laughs> Babies taste the, the best. best. But, uh, Makes sense. yeah, so the food thing was a little bit like, uh, that was kind of definitely like, oh, what are you guys complaining about? Like, yeah. at least they process it into bars. Is it free? <laughs> <laughs> and mm-hmm. honestly, like, if things keep going on the way they are in the real world, we're going to be eating protein bars made out of bugs oh, ourselves. Yeah pretty soon. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we better get used to I already had some cheesy poofs. <laughs> and I just heard that there's, like, this very uh, yeah. expensive uh, Mexican delicacy, which, even though I'm Mexican, I've never heard about. They call it, like, Mexican caviar, or, like, that's, like, the, the nickname for it. Mm-hmm. And it's ant eggs mm-hmm. that are seasoned, and there's some, there's some sort of process that they do to them. And then they kind of, they're in a little pile, like, you know, a caviar pile would be, and then you eat them like you would caviar, and apparently they're crazy good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, put in a taco. I'm ready. (laughs) And then, uh, where do they go after? Oh, right after that. Do they have another fight? Because I feel. Oh, is that where they then they meet up with the no? Yes, yes. With all the guards that have axes and bats. Oh my gosh! Like the Mm -hmm. the yeah, the the tunnel fight. But before that, they they go to that weird human morgue. Place where they, oh, free yeah, where they find the two him. people, which is interesting. I don't know if that's no. explained, but like people prison, are just sort right? of held in like suspended animation, like it's prison, right? Doors. Yeah, but oh. like you're sort of out, you're unconscious, and then they pull you out and wake you up, which is I don't, they never explained it, but that's kind of interesting. And why did the daughter have to go in there, too? Yeah, was she the, his daughter? Yeah, I think oh, so. but yep. uh. And they, yeah, that's when they free him, of course. Mm-hmm. 
And soon after is when uh, they kind of realize that, hey, you know, if we control the water, because the next stage is the water train, the water processing facility on the train. And they decide that if they can control the water, then they don't have to go all the way to the top. They can just bring the, the train to its knees. Mm -hmm. But then that's when, that's the, that's when they meet all the, the super creepy mm -hmm. uh, militia with the hoods and stuff. That was, you know, that was such a great fight. But I have to, uh, one thing that kind of stood out to me is like, you're on a fucking train. Why is, doesn't this look like an old boy scene? You know that, that scene from that horror movie, Old Boy, where he's like, he's in a narrow hallway and he's being attacked? Oh, yeah, the, the elevator. The big one-shot like, yeah. scene where he fight, yeah, fights everybody. Oh, in a, that's in so a, good. But you like know, a video game. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, but it's like because the because the place is so narrow, mm -hmm. like it's, they sort of, the you, you're not only dealing with like really a brutal, really cool fight, but also the claustrophobia part of it and the, the restrictions that it has on your movement are play a part into the fight. That doesn't play into this at all. That's a very wide train that they're fighting in, which I'm not complaining because Bong Joon-ho is a genius and he can do whatever the fuck he wants. But all I was thinking was mm -hmm. like, hey, you know, that might have been kind of interesting if like, the if like the fact that they're on a train would have restricted them a little bit, mm -hmm. other than just the tunnel part. <laughs> Or just accidentally clipping someone because of how much you're, yeah, well, you know, swinging back and yeah. forth because yeah. you're on a tree. Or like the hallway fight in Daredevil, the Netflix Daredevil, oh, yeah. and big, those hallway fights. I love those. I love hallway uh, fights. <laughs> yeah, they could have definitely done a but that was cool. It that was, was a like, fantastic scene, yeah. When the, uh, the daughter says she's sort of clairvoyant, mm -hmm. and she says... They never clear that up, huh? <laughs> yeah, it's sort of implied, it's weird, it's implied in other parts of the movie that some people have developed like psychic yeah. powers too which is weird so i mean she doesn't like know that much she just kind of knows what's behind a, a fucking wall or a door so it's not that bad you know what maybe she's got really good hearing i don't know and i kept i don't know if i was mixing things up but i i'm not sure if it was because of the drug that that was happening oh maybe but I kept thinking, because I kept thinking they were calling the drug Kronos. Mm -hmm. Oh, like the movie. <laughs> yeah, but, and like, uh, or that, also the yeah. that movie about the drug that makes people <laughs> travel in time. It's like a streaming movie with the guy uh, who plays the Falcon from the Marvel uh, movies. Okay. But the drug in that is called Kronos, I believe. And it's, all, it's about a drug that makes you travel through time. I totally want a, a, a really uh, illogical mm -hmm. direction, like, nothing to do with that. Yeah. But I was like, oh, but uh, what was it called? It was Cronol. Cronol. What? Yeah, Cronol. It's Cronol. Like Side effects might include clairvoyance. Mm -hmm. But we find out it's a bomb. It's a bomb. And so the, the, going back to the scene, yeah. the fight scene, uh, I, one of my favorite things about it is how weak it makes me feel. Because you've got these really gigantic, strong dudes, and they're not using guns. They're using, like, fucking axes. Because, you know, they're going to save their bullets, right? And spears. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just, like, it's, it, it, mm -hmm. it kind of, like, it kind of put a little bit of anxiety in me to think, like, there's, I'd be so immediately dead in this situation. <laughs> What was cool, too, about that is that it fit in with the bullet thing, because mm -hmm. 
a lot of those weapons that they were wielding were home like homemade weapons. Those spears were just kind of like poles with that had like metal. Mm-hmm. It looked like they just sort of attached metal points to the end. What was the thing with the fucking fish? I didn't really. I don't. Know yeah, I didn't get that either. The, the, where they cut the fish before they. I know it's like to put blood on the weapons. I think I've seen that before. Where it's like, oh, like. I don't know. But it's like, but to show them that it's fish blood doesn't really strike fear into anybody. The funny thing is at first when they brought the fish out, I thought, oh, they're going to try to bribe them with the fish. Like, they'll be like, we'll give you this fish. Just go back to the back of the train and you can eat this nice big fish. Really nice big fish. (laughs) But but no, they did that thing. That was no. Yeah, like, when when I saw, like, I always took it as, like, well, maybe... It's like a way to poison the Maybe. blade. Yeah. I don't know. Like yeah. I, I, I didn't really get that. But it's like, that oh, could we're gonna be it. not chop um, you up immediately. We're gonna kill you slowly with poison. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you know that's what I was kind of wondering. That same thing, if it was like to taint it. But yeah, it's, that could be it. Yeah, for sure. I felt like that was something like I wasn't. That was like a reference to something that I wasn't getting. You know, I was like, yeah, like I'm supposed to get this. Yeah, but I'm not. I'm I'm gonna Google I wonder it if that's really like a Korean thing like, a, like a he sleep, you sleep with the fishes kind oh. of thing. Like uh the godfather, you know, when they send you a fish wrapped in newspaper. Oh, okay, I gotcha. You know, while T's looking this up, I did wanna give a little shout out to my buddy Chris. Okay, it it is it is because animal blood can be toxic. Oh, because of their poisoning the blade. So wait, wait, okay. let me finish my shout out. So, a buddy of mine watches yeah. the show. He he wanted he yeah. wanted me to you know say hi to him on the show. Hi, Chris, and hi, Lori. So, just saying hi. Okay, let's move on. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, so so of course, like also during this scene, obviously, like the the rebellion are are still fighting fairly well despite all of this. Uh, you know, even though it's just, like, weapon v. weapon at this point in time. But what they don't know is that there's this long-ass tunnel ahead of them, of course. Uh, all, all of the hatchet gang know this, and, you know, they have their night vision goggles, which I thought was a very unique way to, you know, kind of set things up, because the Aurelian don't know, like, how long they're going to be in this tunnel for. At this point in time, and it that that scene goes on for a few minutes as well. But you know, you have that moment where you know they they try to have everyone fall back, uh, which doesn't really work out all that well for them in this case. And of course, that's when the bodies really start to pile up because you know they lose their eyesight, they don't have the vision anymore, and you know the opposition has the upper hand because they can see them clearly using the night vision goggles. But, you know, the whole time, you know, you have, you know, Tilda just, like, looking on with her, you know, binoculars as, like, all this carnage is ensuing. But as soon as, like, you get past that tunnel, that's when you really start to see, like, the aftermath of everything and seeing, like, how many people were actually killed or wounded in that specific battle. And I thought that was a great way to do it. So, you know, it's knowing your environment, uh, you know, having the upper hand. Like, even, even when a train gets to, like, outside of the tunnel and when everyone looks outside... Like, that in itself is blinding as well because of how much snow there is and, you know, you see the the sunlight shining through uh, the windows as well. So you've got, like, that the two different contrasts going on, too. So you have the super yeah, light and then the super over, I mean, I know it's not a very significant part, but there is a whole scene about the first time they start, they see windows. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, for, for yeah, all of them. Yeah, they haven't seen outside. 
for 17 years, yeah. or if, mm-hmm. you're, if you happen to be Edgar, you've never seen outside, which is nuts. Mm. So their eyesight just. Oh, and being a, being a train baby. Kind of like it's kind of like that scene from uh, Silence of the Lambs where Buffalo Bill has the night vision. Oh yeah. And what's her name? Uh, Clarice. Clarice is you know in the house and she can't see and we get that shot of everybody kind of fe- trying to feel around and the, they can see and they start mm-hmm. killing everyone. I, th- I think that's where they lose the most. They lose people. all their numbers actually, yeah, with like, the exception of all four. And that's, I mean, the ending of that fight, which of course is that very traumatic, like Edgar versus Mason, like, do you go save your buddy who's, you can't really save, like, he's got a knife through his throat, Mm -hmm. as soon as you move that way, the dude's dead, Um, or go after the head of the existing car, so that you can potentially just stop the, the carnage right there, and with the whole night vision goggle thing, they've lost Basically, their 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 entire advantage. Yeah, their their upper hand of like having the numbers. Yeah, they they at least had uh, some measure of a counterattack yeah, because they do like right. run the torches, like run the tail end of the train. So you know you kind of like have the whole like light end of the torch situation, <laughs> like with the Olympics, basically. <laughs> and everyone just like handed it off, which I thought was a, a pretty cool touch. But yeah, uh, unfortunately, you know Edgar at, at that point was was dead to rights, no matter no matter what decision. Uh, Curtis was going to make in that moment, and you know, of course, you know he does abandon him in, in, in that case to get to Mason, uh, which you know puts the hit on. Yeah, and it does uh, another, at that point another in time. opportunity for Chris Evans to really show some acting chops. You know, his you know his grief and the turmoil like was very. He, I think, he worked through that really well in the movie. So. And, good job, Chris. And we get that great scene in there. That also was one of the things that really made me think of Terry Gilliam was the part where all the fighting stopped so that they could count down the new year. And, and, and then everybody cheered and they showed like the guy who was like the guard who was like half dead and like his friend made him like wiggle his head around and he was like, yay! When they, that, reminded, that is such a like Monty Python yes, and Terry is. Gilliam yes, thing to do. It, it reminded me of Baron Munchausen, uh, where the Turks and the, who I forget who they're fighting, it's like the French and the Turks are fighting against each other, and there's a huge cannon battle, and cannons are firing everywhere, and the uh, guy says, like, how come you're not firing back, because the people in the fort weren't shooting back at the Turks, and he's like, it's Wednesday. Like, we're supposed to have a ceasefire today. Turks <laughs> <laughs> are just shooting at them and decimating them. And it's just like the absurdity of yeah. like what, you know, they're doing and sort of doing their traditions of New Year's. And it, also, I don't know if it was because they crossed. I think it was New Year's. But also, I swear, I think they did a thing where you cross the equator. Because there's a sailing thing where when you cross the equator of the earth you do a celebration you like everybody like cheers and you go yay and if ever do it i'll, I'll but i don't know yeah if that was part of it but that was a great part too and i think it's important i think they're just how programmed they are basically right mm-hmm. but i think it's good too because a movie like this can be potentially be so dark 
that it's almost too dark to enjoy. You yeah, know what I mean? We talked about this when we were watching The Host, you know, and, and all of the uh, the humor that is peppered through the movie, which mm-hmm. sort of uh, pulls you back from feeling too heavy about the movie and mm-hmm. taking you out of your enjoyment for it. And yeah. Parasite, too, with his movie right, Parasite, yeah. which could be a really like dark, depressing story, but he adds a lot of comedy and kind of mm-hmm. weirdness into it to keep you kind of not to yeah it's not even it doesn't get you to a part to a place where you're laughing it just give brings uh, like a little bit of levity well and you know what's funny is it's like people will like sort of talk about and complain about things that pull you out of the movie mm-hmm. like something so weird and random happened that it, it just pulls you out but the thing that, that what's interesting is like that Pull, that kind of thing pulls you out of the movie, but it mm-hmm. does it in a way where you need to be pulled out of the movie yeah. a bit for a second, yeah. so that you're not like, oh my god, this is so nightmarish and horrible. Because there is a point where you will disconnect from a movie just because you're just, it's just too, um, it's outside of your realm of understanding, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, there's a lot of, uh, I remember in the 90s watching a lot of these, like, Mexican um Drama, uh, dramas, like movies, not the soap operas. Soap operas are huge in Mexico, and I grew up, my, my whole family would sit around the TV in the evenings and watch soap operas together, because they were like morning soap operas, evening, uh, afternoon soap operas, and evening soap operas, and even soap operas for kids. Nice. Crazy, right? Anyway, but there's also a, a whole <laughs> slew of like art house uh, uh, movies in the 90s that were so dramatic and tragic that you're like, are you kidding me? Is this the end of the movie? Like, it's just, it's it's too, it's too much. much, and yeah. it, take, it takes you out of it as well, and then it actually makes you not mm-hmm. even think about the movie. Yeah. You're just thinking about the way that you're feeling and how you, it was, you're yeah. like, well, this isn't even real, so why am I fucking crying? Mm-hmm. I don't know. That was a long explanation, but I'm just trying to get at that if you make your movie too sad, no one's going to like it. Well, yeah, and especially because that part of the movie where they encounter all those guys with the accent, it's like... You know, they're so fucked at that yes. point. It's just kind of... Because those guys not only have <laughs> better weapons, but they all have body armor and stuff like that. And they're all healthy. Yeah, they're all <laughs> big and well-fed. Mm-hmm. They're well-fed and maintained. <laughs> I, kept, I kept thinking... I, as I forgot how this part happened. But I remember thinking, like, go back. Close the door. Close yeah, the door. I, I, I thought they might do some alternate plan where they're like, okay, shut the door. Now we have to figure out how to go around them or whatever. They should have fucking listened to Yono. Yeah, because yeah. yeah, even before that, like, 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 she warned them not to like, open and the gate to at, at this point. Already, yeah, they already opened it. Like, she, yeah, yeah, yeah now I'm already had it taken care of. Uh, but also, and it's this, it's this. The story of the movie is all about pushing forward to the front of the train. Mm-hmm. So it's like they're not going to go around or figure out like an alternate way. They have to just keep moving forward. And yeah, because it's again linear. And then on top of that, there's um, the only even if they wanted to cut their journey short, it can it, they at least have to get to the water, which is on the other side of a bunch of dudes with axes and poison fish. And that's where the main to sort of connect to what we find out at the end and what we've talked about a little, that that is where most of the people are killed when they talk about yeah. the, how they're going to kill like 70% of the population for uh, the poor people. 
that's where it all happens, and I, and that was kind of where they intended it to happen. Here's another question that I hadn't really thought about. So they end the fight by kind of doing that Ender's Game trick where you just move to the front and you capture the flag, or Mason in this particular instance, and you get everybody to drop their weapons. What's keeping all those dudes in that cart? In the cart? Okay, so they win this battle by losing most of their numbers and capturing Mason, and they move ahead. Did they go? Did they kill those dudes once they put down their weapons? Like those dudes are just still there waiting, or did they move towards the back and start killing people? Or they are kind of in the back, and you oh, do sort right. of see them killing people. That's right. So they maybe touch they lock the, the doors the behind guy. them. Exactly. So they probably close the doors behind them, and then they. But then at some point, you see them killing Gilliam anyway. Yeah. Uh, Gilliam, sorry, right? Gilliam. John Hurt. Which I I feel like that's intentional. Yeah. Because like the Terry Gilliam sort of feeling aspect. Ah. I wonder, like they named that character Gilliam, which yeah. I wonder if it was a reference. I know, it sounds like we're not quite ready to talk about the Willy Wonka favor, which I'm actually really in favor of, I do think. <laughs> but, um, but I think that, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's crazy when you, when you have a director that is developing a, a, a reputation for adding so many Easter eggs that you don't know what's real and what's what's a real reference and what's a coincidence. <laughs> kind of like with, you know, Stanley Kubrick when you're like, did he really, is that what that means? Does that bear me that he was having, you know, he was sexually abusing my, you know, my, it's just, it gets crazy, right? So uh, you don't know what's real, you don't know what's a coincidence, but uh, yeah, that's what I was getting at where it's like, with him, it could very likely be a, a real reference, mm-hmm. you know, just to keep you on your toes. But we... I, it's kind of, it's it, it's good in a realism kind of way, and in a non-Hollywood kind of way where they touch back. There's that bald guy mm-hmm. who I'm pretty sure blue. I recognize from the Minority X. Report, the Tom oh. Cruise Minority Report. I think he's in that. Uh, I definitely recognize him from another post-apocalyptic movie, mm-hmm. but where him and the guards are all still killing people and doing their, you know, uh, culling of the poor people while this is, while we're still progressing to the end of the movie, which is kind of a it makes good sense, ho- non-Hollywood touch because I feel like in a Hollywood movie it would feel like, that, oh, we've rescued cute. everyone <laughs> yeah. in the back. Like, they're all fine now and that we've progressed. And then, I, and, like, I totally forgot that there's that dude mm-hmm. with the, 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 the other boss that's walking around. I forget his name. Uh, oh, the guy, the kind the of regular generic looking older yeah. white guy. Yeah, that dude. Of course, like, I, I forgot, yeah, they're still in the back killing people. Mm-hmm. They just basically lock the door behind Which, them. I have a big, que- a big question about him. They were just really relaxed, though. I'm not t- sorry to interrupt, but yeah. I'm saying, like, I just kind of forgot about it, because everyone was kind of fucking relaxed as they're moving through the fucking kindergarten room, eating yeah. fucking eggs. That's a great scene. Looking, looking at the fucking manta rays and eating fucking sushi. <clears throat> Alright, let's move on. But, uh... <laughs> wait, the guy, uh... <laughs> Did you just bring up that? The the other killer that's really hard. Oh, yeah, yeah. I forgot his name. We talk about the classroom and stuff. We'll get all to that, of course. But I don't know if I'm jumping ahead. But that guy, like, he basically gets killed in that part where they fight with him. And they spear him. They, they, like, spear him. and. uh, I thought that, like, well, they spear him in the sauna, right? And then he shows up again at the end. Like, yeah. he's injured, but he, he shows up. He gets weirdly mm-hmm. revived. Yeah, and then he has to fight uh, uh, Nam at the end. Mm-hmm. 
So no, Claude yeah, well, I want to say his name was Claude. That was selecting the kids. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I'm trying to remember. But I, there was a weird part that I, the only part of the movie I didn't get was where he, that guy was like dead and then they revived him. Somehow he sort of came back to life and then became invulnerable. Like they would just shoot him and they yeah. didn't hurt him. And then they're even, and then him and like, and some of those are trying people, to shoot at each other from, uh, but also some of the ravers in the rave part yeah. were sort of revived and they became almost like zombie-like. They were sort of staggering. Were they away. like on drugs? Was it PCP? Or was that it the, Was it the chronal? I don't know, but it was weird. Because and I why felt would they like want to fight so much? There was some odd situation that happened yeah. that I didn't pick up on. And why is Wilford right next to the ravers? Yeah. But the school part was great. Yeah, that was, that was really good. good and I forget this actress's name, but she played the school teacher. Yeah, she was awesome. And I she was. Oh yeah, she was the the romantic interest in Goon, and I love that movie Goon. It is such a cute fucking romantic movie. Mm-hmm. What's that? That's uh, Alison Pill. Oh nice, yeah, she's great. She is did a Alison Pill. Uh, the Scott Pilgrim movie. No. no. As, as the lead? Oh, she is? Is she the drummer? Yeah, she is. In the drummer of Scott's band in the movie, I think? Maybe. Is that it's, her? It's uh, Kim Pine. Yeah, that, that's what I thought. I'm pretty, yeah. I'm pretty sure, yeah. And what was I going to say? Oh, yeah, she does that really great part where she's just so creepy and it kind of goes to show the really heavy propaganda that's involved. And the, the kids, which another thing that this this movie reminded me of a lot of things. I didn't feel like they were ripping things off or copying things, but it, there was just so much stuff that I felt like I was just like, oh my god! Like this reminds me so much of Bioshock. Also, if you've ever played the video game Bioshock, oh. where the wealthy guy makes the underwater city. And then all hell breaks loose in the underwater city, and it's kind of similar. But you have that you—it's very similar where you have like this very wealthy guy who basically sets himself up as sort of the king and god of this new society that he builds, kind of very Anne Rand style kind of situation, uh, and everybody that lives there kind of praises him and is like, oh, you know, he's. The greatest, which they could do mm-hmm. in this movie, it kind of reminded me of that a bit. Yeah, they they don't tell you the complete history behind him or like of what's happening on you know Snowpiercer. Yeah. You know, they only focus on the good aspects of the character, and that's it. Just you know, like he's the sole reason why we're and surviving it, at this it point. Does in you know? As we learn more about what's his name, Will, Wills Wilford Wilford. I, 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 at first, I was convinced that there would be nobody there, that Wilford had oh, died. Yeah. I thought that it was going to be like, if you've ever seen Sky Captain in the World of Tomorrow, oh, yeah. where the the main villain, you find out that the main villain is actually dead, and that everything is just kind of yeah. automated and running itself. I thought for there. sure there'd be like nobody in the main But car, instead, you're like, Ed Harris, what are you doing here? Well, and, then, <laughs> and then I was like, Ed Harris, wait, now it's like Westworld, and it's the man, <laughs> it's the man in black, and he's got his like Westworld that he's created. Uh, yeah. God, sorry, I just kind of, <laughs> 
it's now he's a uh, pigeonholed. <laughs> <laughs> but we can't since we're bringing up Ed Harris, we can't forget Creep Show, one of the best. Movie horror, a great mm-hmm. horror movie with Ed Harris, very young Ed Harris. Is he the one where he falls into the grave? No. Yeah. Okay. He's the boyfriend of. The, Where's my birthday cake? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> That's he's, a good one. he's the boyfriend. Uh, <laughs> but uh, Ed Harris is great, and we talked about uh, Abyss, which mm-hmm. he is in, of course. He he's connecting mm-hmm. everything. I didn't realize I hadn't seen the movie in a long time. But, uh, <laughs> I completely forgot that Ed Harris was in the movie. When he appeared, I was like, oh my god! Ed Harris! <laughs> Ed Harris as Hugh Hefner in his bath, his yeah. pajamas and bathroom. Crazy. Alright. Yeah, just just hanging out, you know, cooking steaks at the front of the train. Uh, but, you know, I, I thought, like, the the fact that the guns actually came yeah. into play, like in the school setting, no less, was extremely oh, telling. Right. For, like, American audiences, yeah, right? Like, uh, it's the who has the gun <laughs> yeah. and starts shooting people because you know. And the end guy. Exactly. Mm-hmm. He was Wilfred was ahead of his time in training teachers to have guns and uh, and defend students by those, shooting everyone. Those first graders, yeah, they can be trouble. Yeah. And that was another Terry Gilliam thing. Very felt very Terry was that classroom scene. Oh sure, the kind of surrealism the yeah. and the propaganda, yeah, and just how surreal it was. And yeah, the fact that she pulls out the gun. And oh, then, in the part where like the eggs. nothing stops, like you, um, a normal reaction would have been fear. And I guess you know you can you can tell yourself like, oh, she didn't want to scare the kids. Oh yeah, but but it's more of the uh, again, if you want to. You know, if you want to lay more in a, you know, the Terry Gilliam sort of connection. Yeah, the whole, like, it doesn't matter if you're, that you walk, you, you walked in clearly uh, out of a war zone, basically, and you look like it, but nothing, nobody is, is reacting to you and what you look like and what's happened to you. Mm-hmm. What? It's like, and I feel like it, that was an, I agree, that was an interesting thing, because it's like, I liked it. whenever <laughs> There, it happened earlier in the movie, too, where in the wealthier areas of the train, mm-hmm. when the, when the rev, basically the revolutionary people yeah. would, like, walk through, uh, a lot, most of the time the people in the area wouldn't freak out. They yeah. wouldn't be like, oh, my God, there's these, like, poor, disheveled people walking through. And I feel like that was actually kind of smart and yeah. well done because... So in real life, yeah. but also in real life, you can have, like, a super wealthy area, like some golf country club, mm-hmm. and then, like, a guy or multiple people will walk through who are very clearly, like, very poor, and they're, like, people who work on the, like, grounds or Oh, whatever. I see. And they might walk right through the middle of the... Golf club, yeah. But the people at the golf club would just be like, whatever, I don't care, because they know, like, oh, these are just the people who work on the club, on the grounds or whatever, you know what I mean? And so, mm-hmm. whatever, like, we were used to seeing them work working for us. And Interesting. For and so I kind of felt like in the school and in the rave club and stuff, they didn't immediately freak out or think that something was wrong, because mm-hmm. it's just like, eh, whatever, like, yeah. we see 
poor people around, you know, whatever. I thought it was more of like everybody's so, um, you know, um, I used the word sedated earlier, maybe that's not the right word, but they're just so into themselves mm-hmm. and they're so comfortable in their existence that they don't really care to think about what else could be happening around them. Mm-hmm. And, there's, and they're so, like, maybe not pampered, but they, they, they've gotten to a point where they feel very safe. Mm-hmm. Uh, although oh, there's no. been a couple of rebellions, but I guess they never made it past a certain point. Like, not to the point where the upper class saw anybody, I guess. Yeah, like, I think they never made it past the water before. They never made it past the, yeah, the, the dudes, mm-hmm. the henchmen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, of course... What do they? Oh yeah. So the, after the classroom, they go to the. That's the rave room. No, no. After that, don't they go to the the food, the, the two food rooms? The so sushi. the the farmer, the farming room, and then the sushi room or the the aquarium. Right, right. The aquarium, which looks then at the Academy of Arts. Yeah, Academy have, of Science. Yeah. At the Academy of Sciences here, they have that exact kind of thing where the, you walk. You're through walking that through exact a tunnel, and like there's something around and the fish it's and very everything cute. are there. It looks exactly like that. It's okay. Some of the fish are crazy looking. Mm-hmm. That was one of those things. Uh, I'm not going to nitpick the movie, but it, when you hear like the history of the train and how it was set up, it's like how did they? There's no way they set up that aquarium room. There's just no way. Like, but I'm not going to nitpick. It's fine. I'm not going to nitpick it. But <laughs> how they? And, and oh my gosh, yeah. the fish are only there to be eaten. To, I think, uh, the sushi. I'm thinking of that, uh, the, the, shoot, the, um, oh my god, I can't believe I forgot the Mel Gibson movie where he's a cop and Lethal Weapon. Yes, Lethal Weapon. Remember the, uh, the spoof of Lethal Weapon where he walks into his trailer or something and it's like a palatial mansion inside? Yeah. Because yeah. I mean, some of these cards, yeah. when you look at it from the outside, they're all uniformly shaped. But then when you go on the inside, there's all sorts of shit happening. Yeah, <laughs> You're like, like, wait a minute. Way this thing is like 30 feet tall. <laughs> but, uh, Sorry, Bong. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it makes sense. Because it, it it's cool. It shows you how more and more opulent the, yeah, the wealthy yeah. areas become as you move closer to the front of the train. It's just like becomes outlandish in terms of you know, they're living in this post-apocalyptic world. Yeah. But now it, we're, we've gotten this so far in the front and the wealthiest areas that it's, like, kind of absurd, like, the stuff that they You know what's so funny? Like, I, I feel bad because this whole movie is supposed to, like, you know, tell you all about, like, hey, you know, don't live in a box. Don't let capitalism, like, dictate how we live our lives. And all I could think about is, like, hey, so that car with that little old lady reading books and drinking tea, how much for that? <laughs> That's all I could think about. <laughs> that can't be too expensive, right? I don't have to be a friend eating sushi. <laughs> I mean, if, if you have to ask, it's probably too expensive. That's generally I the they rule of thumb. Drug them with the sushi, but they <laughs> and the last one you see, uh, uh, Tilda eating a protein a protein bar. Oh, yeah. She's so fucking good. She's so weird. <laughs> Yeah, which is oh, really? which is actually she made from like seaweed and sugar. Yeah. yeah. Well, I was gonna say, and I was gonna say <laughs> that's the other. It's like you're either eating bug protein bars or you're eating seaweed mm-hmm. algae protein bars. It's kind of one or the other. Licking mossy rocks. Yeah. Because that's the next. I'm, they should have had right. like the algae room mm-hmm. where they grew algae. Mm-hmm. 
but that. Exactly. And so, yeah, so uh, the, the farming room, which is cute, and then we've got the, um, the fish room, and then after the fish room, what comes next? The rave? Is that the rave room? I think it might be the No, at some point people die. Oh, this, the, the sauna room. Oh, yeah. And the pools. Oh, so, yeah. So, yeah, the sauna like a recreational pools, area. Right, so, yeah. And so, in the sauna, which I believe is the first part, no, the second <laughs> part, because the, the dude with the gun comes through the, 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 the pool room. Uh, which was very small. There were two tiny pools. Okay. But let's have a whole cart that's a bunch of fish. Although you get to eat the fish. So that makes sense. Yeah. But, uh, and I think that's where... No, Tanya dies in the classroom, huh? Is that right? No, she dies... Which one's Tanya? Uh, uh, Octavia Spencer. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like the only female on the fighting team. Yeah. Does she die in the... Oh, yeah, she or died. before that? Did she die before that? The I think she might have died in the classroom, but I can't remember if she made it. Yeah, she's healed the lawn side uh, gray from the henchman. The seamless, seamlessly like Franco, invincible that's one. Right. It's, uh, okay. it, it's Franco. So, okay. was the name of the I love the scene in the sauna yeah. where he's smart enough to look into the pods. Oh, yeah. And there's just cool. like the lady who's like, get out of here. And then moves her head and there's yeah. and there's Nama and his daughter, yeah. yeah, and then fighting ensues. That was a cool looking area too. Yeah. It kind of reminded me of Star Wars. Because of the like, Return of the Jedi the and those lights. Yeah. It was like kind of when mm -hmm. Luke fights Darth Vader in Return of the Jedi. I, and I, I love the whole aspect of the guy just like open firing and then like killing one of the upperclassmen, and then of course you got the guards like, "Hey, you can't do that." Like, just that's kills sort him of, too. Uh, I don't know if that's sort of just a nod to you can't control everything and everyone, even if they're on your team. Yeah, I don't know. That was interesting. Well, I mean, the guards are definitely—I would say the guards are mm. not part of the upperclass society. No, they've got to so be like there was some barracks. They had better barracks, but not by much. Because yeah. at one point where they're moving up from the back of the train. They come to some barracks where there's less beds, but there's food, regular food, and nobody's there, which I'm guessing that was the the the, uh, the fighters mm -hmm. who were living there because they were off somewhere preparing to fight. Yeah. I bet, I would bet, yeah. I mean, it's not in the movie, but I'm sure that the guards were probably the poor people yeah. who were, like, brought up and given, you know, more food, more yeah. stuff, and then yeah. they basically For became, sure. you know. Snitches. Yeah. Because I don't think you would be able to have, like, the truly elite people on that train be the guards. That's they true. They, I mean, there, there's got to be a service group. Mm -hmm, exactly, so, which would come from the poor group. Yeah. Being raised up a little bit. Mm hmm Which, you know, mirror the train mirrors the real Society. world. Turns out it's man. Which man is the real the monster? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so sauna room great fight scene in that jesus because i mean that's the one where um he curtis blacks out and then we get the 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 crazy revival of the the martial artist yeah. dude and I, I, did I, he come back after we thought he's, he was dead or something or? i meant to rewind it because i felt like i missed something in yeah that i was part. like whatever happened to that guy not that, now that he's here. But the way that he was revived and some of the... It seemed like some of the wealthy people who had been killed were revived. Mm -hmm. At least that's what it seemed like to me. Did I miss... Did you guys notice that? Who was revived from the wealthy? Like, well, mainly that got, that guard guy who got killed one. 
Franco. Yeah. Okay. But it seemed like also some of the wealthy people mm-hmm. in the rave room were uh, were revived and sort of became almost zombie-like and sort of. I'm still thinking drugs. Yeah, they, that might have been what it was. I saw that it, they were on the chrome. Yeah, and I don't understand why they were right next to Wilford, unless it, they were meant to be sort of like some sort of like thick human dancing soup between mm-hmm. you know everybody and, and Wilford in case he needed like bodies to shield him from something. Yeah. I don't know. You guys might have to explain that one to me. But then uh, we, of course, get to. <laughs> And then, of course, we get to Wilford, the, the yeah. Wilford and the tree. Well, the door, right? And they have that great moment where Nana's like, okay, we can go through this door and talk to Wilford, or we can go through this other yeah. door and <laughs> go outside. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now, of course, that's the plan of, all right, you know, the real reason why we have all this thrown on yeah. is so we can use it as an explosive since it is highly flammable. Uh, and, you know, he's, he's just looking to escape the train with uh, his daughter Yana, you know, believe in that uh, the snow has that melted crash. because there was a point where they saw like an airplane, uh, and like the last rotation, you know, you couldn't really see anything, but now like you could start to see the wings. Uh, so you know, he believes that the Earth is livable at this point <clears throat> in time. Uh, and of course, you know, you have that moment where you know Curtis is outside; he's really wanting to meet Wilfred at this point in time, and then he really explains like the earlier part of the train, where like you know, seventeen years ago, the tail section had to result to you know cannibalism in order to survive; they were eating their own, uh, and then well, you know, and then also, eating babies. There's a big sort of uh, uh, like character trait that's revealed yeah. in that, that speech, which is that he well, not only was he the aggressor initially, but he at this point hasn't um, sacrificed a limb. He hasn't sacrificed his body for the benefit of the community or his community. Because they tell that great story where, mm-hmm. yeah, so he's he's about to attack this woman with a baby because yep. they want the baby to eat the baby, who later turns out to be Edgar. And they kill the mom, and then they're, right? They kill the mom, I think. Yeah. He I kills the mom. He kills the mom, and he's about to eat the baby. And then uh, Gilliam, I always forget his name. Gilliam. He, Gilliam, yeah, he's the one that, cuts his arm off and offers it to them, right, to eat. And then everybody starts cutting off limbs to offer it to eat. <laughs> that was another mm-hmm. part I had to, like, maybe I'm a bad person. <laughs> you might be a bad person. That was another part that made me laugh, was when he was like, and then a wondrous thing happened. Everybody started cutting their limbs off Merry and offering Christmas, them. everyone! So, like, <laughs> Just had this like image of everybody like sawing their arms off and being like, "Here, eat my arm." It's... <laughs> I'm trying to think of that New Year's Eve song. Da, 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 da. <laughs> and then, uh, well, I me mean, like I was just saying that in this particular speech, you find out that he, one of the big driving factors in his um, his motivation to be a leader is because he he's, he he has taken so much from people. And he hasn't given it back. Yeah, like he yeah. hasn't sacrificed. And the whole thing about the hand, arm, whatever. And so that's, you know, it becomes really a little bit on the nose, but I liked it, you know, where he sacrifices his arm to get Timmy out of the out of the machine well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But what was the thing, though? Remember they showed him earlier where he had the scar on his arm? And he oh, what was that? Maybe, he, oh, didn't he say he tried to cut his, his arm off and he couldn't do it? Was that what it was? Because, yeah, I didn't understand. That. Did, he, did he say that? Do you remember, T? 
I, I think he just couldn't, he he couldn't bear the thought of it, so he didn't actually yeah. commit. Uh, psychologically do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, yeah. He wasn't, he wasn't then, ready at that yeah, point Yeah, so basically his chance to kind of sacrifice himself for the greater good. But can you imagine, John, like everybody's taking off a limb so that we can all eat, and then you don't do it, and we're all like, wow, John, wow. <laughs> no, you can't hold my baby. <laughs> <laughs> Which, again... Not to uh, not to compare, but not to compare things. Uh, but uh, again, like there is a Monty Python skit where it's just a scratch. All the sailors, no, oh. all the sailors are in a boat, and they're it's like a lifeboat, and they start talking about like who they're gonna like they might have to meet somebody, and then one of the characters like you know sort of does the selfless speech where he's like. You can eat my leg. And then, like, one of the other guys is like, no, no, like, you can eat my, like, arm. And then they start, like, arguing over who can eat you know, And being like, I, I clearly have better, like, muscle tone. And, uh, and they're kind of fighting with who should eat who. But, uh, but I did, you know, it's a, a great movie, but that part. It's I very like heavy handed and I loved it. I thought it was so I thought Chris like, Evans did really, really well. I you know, he I could I could feel the heaviness in his speech yeah. and I liked it and then and then he got a cigarette out of it, so you know. he's laughing all the way to the cancer ward. Yeah. Yeah, the last, right. the last cigarette. The, the last cigarette. No, probably Wolfer has a bunch. That was a funny scene earlier mm-hmm. in the movie when he pulls out the first the first one earlier, and, and he throws it like, away. the whole crowd of people is like, "Oh, oh!" Like they all lean forward and look. Yeah, like, looking and he at takes like two puffs and he throws it away, or maybe he's smoking it while they're having a conversation. When he throws it away, mm-hmm. and then everybody like pounces on it. Yeah, everyone grabs it. That's so. good. But uh, so also heavily reminded me the part where he gets to the engine room and talks to Wilfred so much like the Matrix 2. Because when Neo meets with the engineer oh, yeah. in the Matrix 2, That's right. he basically tells Neo, you're not the... The one is something that plays out over and over. There are these revolts yeah. and these rebellions that happen as a pattern over and over. And it's something that we do, and we do it to maintain the matrix and uh, almost identical. And I'm not, again, not saying this movie's ripping anything off, but it's so close where the Wilford tells him, Hey, we let you have those rebellions earlier as a as a way to keep the population under control and to kill everyone. And we were the ones sending you the messages. Giving you a little bit of hope too. Yeah. Yeah. And very much, the Matrix kind of idea, and I feel like if we really thought hard about it, this would be a, a story or a plot, a plot line or a plot that is repeated throughout. Yeah, throughout like many decades of, of movie making because it's so basic, you know. Uh, and but also, I mean, when I say basic, I don't mean that it's not that it's not that it's not intelligent, that it's not you know that it's not worthy. Mm-hmm. It's, it's 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 a great you know plot you twist, you know. And uh, and also not necessarily one that's uh, not true for us in, in our world, right? So okay. just to get a little little, little intellectual and intense on you, 
but I forgot what I was talking about. <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, it's it's the idea that uh, at all times the wealthy and powerful were always controlling it. You know that they never. I believe had, that they never really were sort of acting out of their own self. Yeah. Uh, determination. It was always that the, they were being manipulated. They were just pawns. The whole time. They cogs in a machine. And then, ultimately, he realizes, of course, the, the decision that must be come to, that must be reached in these situations in the Matrix or any kind of story, which is that the only real solution is to leave Shut it the down. system. To, to just not take part in the system, not perpetuate the system, and just leave it, exit it, and start a new, uh, new system. <laughs> start a new system. And leave the train. It was very satisfying to finally see Claude get it. Because, I mean, they had all these like characters throughout the movie that were... I don't know how to describe them. They're just like the the teasers, the ones that like mock you on the other side of like you know a gate or a glass partition, you know, like the guy with the eggs, and you've got Claude, and of course Mason does the same thing, but she's mm-hmm. really obnoxious. And then of course when she finally gets it, although oh, like the, the, yeah, the, the girl in the in the in the uh, citrus colored clothing mm-hmm. and stuff. So that was nice. Another. Uh... Hunger Games character. That's true. <laughs> and then, and then, just to like wrap up the story, of course, uh, Curtis gets offered the position of mm-hmm. engineer, but then Leo comes in and magically, clairvoyantly knows that there's small children running, running the gears, running the engine, and, and then that's Curtis was thinking about it for a second. He's like, "Well, I guess I could be a nice engineer and send more protein bars down south." Uh, but then when he saw the little kids, that was it. That I was surprised. That kind of caught me off guard, too, because I was actually thinking about the kids, because when they go to the school, mm-hmm. they uh, ask about the kids, because maybe they're, we think that maybe the kids are being kidnapped and being like, given to the wealthy yeah, to parents raise, who yeah. can't have kids. Like, oh, just because they want the kids, or yeah, because exactly. they have to raise some kids. Yeah. That's what I thought. When they first took the kid in the very beginning of the movie, I yeah. thought it was like, oh, <laughs> some wealthy People mm-hmm. want a child, and so they're just like, go down and pick one out. Exactly, one. pick one out. <laughs> and, uh, but then uh, we find out, of course, that they're needed because certain parts have uh, degraded and become extinct, mm-hmm. and the children are the only way to uh, to keep that running and to have them in there. Mm-hmm. Which, by the way, I want to throw in, back in the day, like in the 1800s and 1700s, when little kids Still worked. worked in factories mm-hmm. and things, that was exactly the, well, the reason kind of shit they were doing, yeah. that <laughs> they worked because their little hands and their little arms could reach into the machines that where adult hands and arms couldn't, and Probably so losing and they would hands. lose limbs and get killed. Shit! Uh, but that was exactly the re- like yeah. the thing with the kids mining and stuff, mm-hmm. small like openings that they yeah. And that was a great shot, too, where they lift up the panel, and there's just, like, the kids like, kid. doing stuff in the, underneath the floorboards. And then Ed Harris is like, no! Uh-huh. And he's... Nope, and you see all the moving gears, yeah, too. It looks like he's, like, clearing muck out of the gears. Oh, is that what he's doing? It, okay. It, so I was thinking, I was like, oh, that's actually... 
Like, I, I, I don't want to sound like a bad guy. Yeah, <laughs> that's was, a very important job I'm doing. <laughs> but, no, but I was like, that's actually really clever. Because, like, uh, that's like, that, like, when they say that the kids have to fulfill a role that the mm-hmm. machines can't, that feels kind of abstract. But to actually show the kid doing that, it's like, oh, that's actually a real thing that oh, we need want children. a little kid to do, like, to clear... He can get his hands in there and clear the dirt out of the gears, mm-hmm. you know, in there. So of course that's the uh, that's the last straw for Curtis. Mm-hmm. They uh, he punches at Harris, and then uh, Nama kills Franco finally, uh, and then they blow up the side door. Clock is taken out with Chrono, and then the explosion kills everybody. Although what happened to the rest of the people on the other parts of the train? But let's not get into that. Uh, well, I mean. The train crashes. When, they, but... when the train crashes, lots of people die. I was kind of yeah. blown away that they ship because oh, a like lot the, of the cars, the cars just off. fall off the road. Yeah. 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 I'm just like, there's still a lot of cars. It was like three quarters of the train went off the rails. I, mean, yeah. I, I would assume there's people in every part of mm-hmm. the train. But yeah, they show a lot of the train just straight up being destroyed. That was pretty good. And those people dying, which was shocking, surprising, because in a Hollywood, more Hollywood version, once they blow up that door and stop the train, everyone would survive. Mm-hmm, you know what right. I mean? Like, it would stop in a way where there was no destruction of the train. I would, you know. And it's like, yay, we did it. Everyone, you know. But this movie, it's like, at least, like, half more of the survivors get killed in that train crash. True. True. And then, of course, uh, you know, and Timmy get to go out into the frozen wilderness that is melting. And there's a, a healthy polar bear to greet them. And yeah. hopefully they don't get eaten. That's right. My first thought was, that polar bear is going to try to eat you guys. So maybe he's not super hungry just then. Oh, yeah. Yes, there you go. Or, or he's going to offer right, them so a Coke. Quite One of the some two. time now, right? Like, <laughs> the before time, before the technical interruption. An hour and a half, yeah. An hour and a half, is that where we're at? Or more, actually, right? I think we almost hit an hour previously. <laughs> okay. No, we're like an hour 27, but that, that was just from my side, but who knows. But, you know, I thought it was interesting because the whole time they're talking about, like, how, okay, we're going to kill off 74% of the jail passengers. And, you know, everything has to be, you know, in a set manner. And then the explosion puts you well beyond that point because you got you got the entire entirety of the tail and then more than half of the train itself at that point in time. So it's like even even if they were still trying to live on the train at that point in time, yeah. like, you no, wouldn't yeah, fucking die because it wouldn't be self-sustainable at that point. At that point. Although I, I was, like, thinking you would definitely want to camp out in the destroyed train yeah, cars for a little scavenge, while, while scavenge, you kind of could, yeah, forage out from there mm-hmm. and use that as your home base. I mean, those fish are still perfectly good in the aquarium. And all those eggs. And another movie I want to compare to is uh, George Lucas's THX 1138, which is his first movie before Star Wars. And it's about a uh, sort of post-apocalyptic society that lives underground and then uh, it's all a big chase, and then he gets out and it emerges into the real world. Mm. And we find that the real world has sort of healed itself. And this is kind of a common thing with some 
post-apocalyptic stories where a society will lock itself away and then things have actually improved mm -hmm. and repaired themselves on the earth, but they've become so accustomed to living in their little post-apocalyptic society that they don't realize that the world's actually a lot better place uh, now. One of my favorite apocalyptic, post-apocalyptic movies, although apocalyptic movies is kind of the same, <laughs> insane, yeah. yeah, post-apocalyptic, is uh, um, A Boy and His Dog or A Man and His Dog. Remember that yeah. one? Yeah. With Don Johnson and yeah. a dog. Mm -hmm. Great movie. Really creepy. A lot of white face. <laughs> So let's talk about fan theories because, you know, we mentioned this last week oh. and also earlier in the episode. So there was a theory floated around the Internet that Snowpiercer is connected to Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Uh, and this is uh, an alleged sequel to, to Willy Wonka. So, but, OK, here's here's some of the similarities. Obviously, both of these movies are kind of structured in a sense where, you know, you have these uh, large groups of people who are working through like this uh, fantastical sort of structure. Uh, you also have members of each group deciding to, you know, leave, uh, you know, in a walk, it's, you know, by accident in some cases. Snowpiercer, it's more a permanent, because uh, it's death. <laughs> and, of course, you know, one person in each movie makes it towards a very tail end to encounter, you know, the wealthy, very eccentric uh, person who explains the entire journey to them uh, and how it was a test because they're looking for a successor. Uh, which, of course, you know, in this case, you know, Ed Harris was trying to get, uh, you know, for Evans to, you know, helm the train at this point in time. And, uh, you know, so, like, basically, everyone's looking at, like, Ed Harris's uh, Wilford character to be, like, the grown-up version <laughs> of I mean, Charlie. And there's Huck, a lot of similarities uh, that did actually uh, ring true. Uh, so I, I, can, I can buy into a le some level of, of uh, intention on the part of the director to to uh to uh to make these movies mm -hmm. kind of like sort of like connect with each other and again you know we we're talking about the, the story of a hero you know going through some trials uh and then you know the plot twists that are common i mean they're you know they can all just be you know the, the same it's, it's a story we know basically so that's not too far-fetched and then there's a my my favorite connection that i found was um in listening to some other videos or other reviews was the uh, the music, so the uh, la da da la da da la da la da la So uh, there are several parts in Snowpiercer where that little um, progression uh, is is repeated. Really? Mostly, uh, most um, uh, most clearly or most uh, closely to uh, the Willy Wonka movie at the very end where. Yono and Timmy are walking out into the frozen wilderness. Uh -huh. They actually repeat those notes, and it's very oh, good. Yeah. And then throughout the, the movie, there were several places mm -hmm. where they're either in minors or drawn out, and but, they're the, but the tune is clearly there. So I thought yeah. that was really cool. And then there were just a lot of comparisons to um, <laughs> the the two plots being very side-by-side side in terms of, like, the trials and, and mm -hmm. in terms of, like, the, uh, the, uh, um, the, the, the different things that they have to overcome. And then there were some really stupid connections, which I was like, no, no. Uh, like, I can't remember what the dumbest one was, which was um, there's a piece of cloth on a shelf at, in Ed Harris's room. And somebody's like, that really deep, dirty, burgundy piece of cloth, that could be Charlie's red scarf. 
And I was like, you motherfucker. You shut your face. Yeah, you lost me. And then there's a lot of comparisons to, for example, um, the really obnoxious little girl that uh, uh, dies, in, or not dies, but, yeah, comparing her to Mason. Uh, and then age-wise, apparently it kind of works with Ed Harris being a grown-up Charlie. And then, uh, oh yeah, and the other part that I really liked was the, the emblematic W in different places. Yeah. You know, in, in Willy Wonka, in the factory, in the gates, yeah. and then on Snowpiercer, just like the front door mm-hmm. of Wolfwood's, you know, you know the, big old W, which plays into it. Yeah. The funny thing is, for some weird reason, uh, the W kept reminding me of, uh, what is it, um, from Alien, uh, when, what's the name of the company that uh, building better worlds? Uh, I forgot. Uh, the company that runs the corporation from Alien is a big W as uh, well. And they, they're terraforming planets. But also in terms of the Willy Wonka, um, it, uh, it's also like the thing where uh, Willy Wonka is the one who like does not aspire to having power and money and control. Mm-hmm. And, and that's why he's the right person to sort mm-hmm. of run the company because he's honest and not that what's his name wants that, Ed but Harris, it's sort yeah. of like Ed Harris. Oh, Chris, uh, Curtis, or, uh, Chris Evans. But Chris Evans' character is sort of like the, like, you know, he doesn't necessarily want it. That's not his whole goal in trying to get to the front. Mm. Uh, and then, oh yeah, and then my favorite loose connection that I thought was like, I don't believe it, but that's pretty neat, was that, uh, so having small little kids working the engine of, of the train kind of mirrors Oompa Loompas. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> They don't get to leave, they just live there. They just have to, like, re- yeah, definitely. That was kind of <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. I would have to, I never, I hadn't heard the theory about Willy Wonka. I'll have to watch videos. some videos. But, uh, <laughs> I don't know, it just feels like it's, Perfect. It feels like people are connecting it to Willy Wonka simply because yes. the, of the part where he Ed Harris offers him to take over, and he's like, "Hey, like, I want you to be the one to take over." And mm-hmm. Blah blah blah. Pretty much. But like, I don't know. They compare that dude Franco to the little kid that's a cowboy and likes to shoot guns. Mm-hmm. Yeah, stupid stuff like that. But it was fun to think about for sure. But. uh yeah, I don't know how well it's <laughs> like thinking back on it, like how much it connects to Willy Wonka. Other than just that, Willy yeah. Wonka is also kind of a linear story where you move from thing to thing, mm-hmm. and people die along the way, and then you get to the you know and then, that linear structure. Mm-hmm. And then there's this really mean spirited part where they compare Claude to. Uh, the plump boy in uh, Wonka, and they're like, the "Well, team. she's a big girl, and uh, clearly has no self-control." And I was like, "Jesus Christ, that's just me." No, that could no. be that could be that kid's daughter. I'm like, "For fuck's sake!" <laughs> that's how I feel about that. Yeah, I feel like that doesn't like mm-hmm. like the thing about the kids in Willy Wonka is that the point is that they're all like spoiled yeah. kids. Different, they're all spoiled in different ways and they get punished for it. Yeah, but the characters who work their way through the train, Chris Evans and her and everyone, are not spoiled or bad in any way, they are actually trying to do something positive. Uh, 
And so when they die, it's not like a punishment for being a yeah. spoiled brat or something like that. You Just know. eat your protein bar. Exactly. The protein bars are like the Willy Wonka bar. Oh, and the, the other connection was <laughs> the uh, hygiene tickets or communications and food. I know. Yeah, it's I like though. the music one, and I like the W one. It's different because uh, the communications mm-hmm. in this movie are meant are for him to like help him progress to the front of the train, or to do their or to help uh, Charlie get to uh, you know to the Willy Wonka factory, right? To find his successor. Uh huh. But I guess it would be it would be more of an obvious connection if the idea was whoever <laughs> got to the front of the train would be the successor. But in the this movie, it's implied that Chris Evans' character was chosen to be the successor before he ever... Which I don't know why. They basically are like, Mwahaha, it was the plan all along that well, you would be the person who gets here and is the successor. Well, there was but like, like, why, though? Well, I don't know about why, but like, wasn't there... I can't remember if it was Mason or Claude. I think it was Mason who was like, oh, we know who you are. We've been watching you. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, he was chosen before the revolution took... And they even <laughs> said... Because Gilead was part of yeah. the evil people's... He mm-hmm. was a plant And yet there. he took his fucking arm off. But he cut his own arm off. I know. Again, not to criticize... This is a great movie. But there are some of those aspects of the conspiracy theory yeah. aspect of it that don't quite bear out when you've mm-hmm. seen the movie more than once. And you kind of think about it. It's like, eh, that doesn't... Bonfino. Link up the, the like, oh, we, you were chosen to be the one all along, and we were culling mm-hmm. the the poor people, and it's like, okay, well, okay. then your, your like plan succeeded, I guess. 100%. <laughs> uh, so I mean, it's like, but uh, no, mm-hmm. I, but That's uh, good. I like that. But at least he just I like that. I love the eye roll. I guess. <laughs> And another little nitpick, too, and this is a tiny nitpick because I think I know this reasoning, but when they finally crash the train at the end of the movie and it goes through the tunnel and the first few cars come out of the tunnel and it crashes and finally comes to a stop, the train tracks after the tunnel are completely gone. Like, you don't, it's completely snowed over, mm-hmm. and there's no trace of the train tracks at all after mm-hmm. that tunnel. Okay. And so part of me was thinking, well, what, like, the train was probably going to crash at that point, no matter what, because what it got maybe. snowed over. But then it, maybe I was thinking, well, maybe they talk about how the train scoops up snow. Well, they did it a bunch. Remember, like, water. incoming, yeah, you got to crash themselves. So maybe it would have just plowed through that section anyway. I think so. But I thought it was kind of interesting that when we got that big far away, the big long shot of the crash train, mm-hmm. I was looking for the continuation of the tracks, but there was just nothing there. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. But, uh, interesting. Oh, and one one scene in particular that we didn't talk about, which was honestly one of my favorite parts. Oh, of the we movie forgot to talk is about when you have Chris yeah. Evans yeah. having like the gunfight uh, with the main henchman. Mm. 
Yeah, when they're both, you know, you're going yeah. like through a curve at this point on the train, and they're opposite sides of the train, and they're trying to like both fire across yeah. like this huge distance. Which I don't know how that fucking would have worked to begin with, but that's besides the point. But both of them are just going shot for a shot, and you could see the glass slowly starting to break. And I thought that was yeah. just very well done. And, and then they're eventually from, just like, what they we're drop, used to just kind of standing there. At first, they're kind of ducking out of the way and trying to shoot at each other, but then eventually mm-hmm. they just stand yeah, there yeah. and start shooting at each other, like trying to shoot through the hole of the glass because it's kind of bulletproof, <laughs> but not completely. But it's just that they're never going to get the action. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Yeah. Stop wasting bullets. And it's nice. Yeah, to they're just like, well, this isn't going anywhere. <laughs> when it's doing those turns and stuff, it looks just like the model when they show the little model of the circular train. Oh, yeah. And it, it looks just like that when they're doing that turn part. But yeah, mm-hmm. having the part where it turns and you can see across and shoot across, is, that was good. Have you guys watched the, the TV series at all? I think they're on like season four. I don't even know if it's going. I've <laughs> never seen any. I feel bad because I'm like, I love Snowpiercer. I will not watch the TV show. And it's got Jennifer Connelly in it and everything. I wonder if it can, does it continue from the end of the movie? No clue. Never watched it. Or is it on the train? It's got to be on the train because it seems to be on the train. Mm. So. I mean, it would kind of have to be on the train. <laughs> but no, I've not, not, I've not seen it. I sh- it is, it's an art. I should get around to that for sure. The, uh, um, what do they I- call it? It's like a trick. Do they? It's like, is it train arc or just arc? They had like a name for it where they, he created the arc. Which I kind of wish that it had just been climate change that caused this to happen, but they talk about how CW there was some chemical or seven, CW7? That caused it. Yeah. yeah. They could have just got. I almost feel like it would have been better. Oh, maybe it's just the time now where it's just. It's just plain old climate change. It yeah. wasn't like a, a special chemical being released. It just, you know, this is just what happened. Guys, I gotta go to the bathroom too. Can we wrap it up? <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, so looking ahead next week, we will be discussing American Psycho release in 2000. Of course, that being directed by Mary Heron. Uh, Rod from Murder Moose should be with us next week to discuss that one. But uh, obviously, American Psycho, one of the, <laughs> I mean, best genre pieces out there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, arguably, pr- exactly. probably, probably the best horror movie directed by a woman too. Uh, in this case, uh, but you know, definitely a very quotable movie. Tons of sex appeal. Uh, both from Patrick Bateman's character and also all the women that he's hooking up with. Uh, and, I mean, everyone everyone knows the, the business card scene. Oh, I mean, that's that's definitely been, like, one of the most on prominent YouTube. scenes in cinema. Uh, I can't remember. Uh, <laughs> You'll find it pretty easily. I can't remember the name of the channel. But there's a guy who makes YouTube videos where he inserts his cat into Hollywood movies I can't remember. It's, I can almost remember. It. But he does a really great job yeah. with the, the business card scene from American Psycho, where instead of comparing business cards, they're comparing, they're passing around their iPhones showing pictures of their cats on it. 
and it's so well done. It's literally this the shots from the movie, but he uses <laughs> visual effects to replace the business cards with cat photos. It's so good. That scene is yeah, is really awesome. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, so that should be next week. And of course, you know, we got other movies lined up, but you know, you'll learn more about that on our next episode. Uh, but with that being said, I do want to thank you again for tuning in to Handle with Scared. This has been episode number 72. Uh, if you guys are looking to keep in contact with our podcast, you can find all of our video content over on YouTube at Handle with Scare Pod. And you can also follow us over on Twitter at Handle with Scare. Uh, so with that being said, we are to wrap it up here tonight. I uh, hope you guys enjoy the episode. And of course, we will see you back next week for American Psycho. Y'all take care. <laughs>